All right, well, get your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I am very excited about the word of the Lord that I get to bring to you today. Um, And we've been in uh, a series that we do almost every year, at least a weekend. We call it I Heart My Church, and we think it's okay to love our church I love my church. I hope you love your church. You should love your church. You should enjoy going to church. Church should be an enjoyable experience, not something you have to endure. Um, Church is a movement. It's messy. You just have to embrace the mess. I know people out there are not in church today because they're still trying to find the perfect church. Uh, and you can't find a perfect church because you're not perfect. <laughs> and so you're going to ruin it if you find it, if you show up, because you're not perfect. Somebody say amen. How many just say, I'm a little messy. God loves me, but I'm a little messy. That's right. Well, I'm a little messy too, and God loves me, but I'm messy. And, and so we've been talking about this, and we've been really drilling down on one of our values. And we have seven values here. And, and uh, we've been drilling down on the one that we call healthy things grow. In fact, we hashtag this whole series HTG. It's on the shirts. It's on the sleeve. Because all year when you're wearing that shirt and you look in the mirror to make sure your hair is where it needs to be and you see that HTG on your sleeve, I want to be a reminder. Oh yeah, healthy things grow. And this year I've decided to grow. And so we've been talking about that. And I have one more message that I want to bring in this series about how we grow um, and so it's, we're going we're gonna to pick up on some things that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is actually Paul's third letter to the church of Corinth. The first one was not canonized as scripture. We don't have it. And then so 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter. And we know it is because God is telling them about, a, or Paul is telling the Corinthians, and he's referencing a previous letter that we don't have. And then we get to 2 Corinthians, which is his third letter. And so Paul's writing, it's kind of a, an interesting passage because Paul's telling us some things that are going on with him personally. He's writing the Corinthians and he says in verse five of chapter seven, he says, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. Have you ever felt like, man, I'm tired. Like I've been working, I've been moving, I've been rolling. I told Julie the other day, I said, I don't know what we were thinking when the staff planned our January, but between the church calendar and my personal calendar, I told her, I forgot to plan a rest time in here somewhere. And I'm tired, I'm tired. And Paul said, I I was tired. I had no rest. And he said, but we were troubled on every side. Now it's gotten worse. Like now there's some stuff going on. He said, outside were conflicts and inside were fears. Have you ever been walking through life and you felt that way? Like outside, there's just all types of stuff slamming against me from all different angles. And on the inside, I'm just riddled with a little bit of fear. I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. And I don't know how we're going to make this. And I don't know how we're going to do that. That's where Paul was at. And then he says this, nevertheless, God. And you might want to just pause right there. He said, nevertheless, God, here's what Paul said. If God's involved, you're not going to have less. There's never going to be less if God is involved. When God is involved, you're going to have more. You're going to have enough. Paul's saying sometimes when you hit the wall, you just have to remember who your source is. And where your strength comes from. And who's on your side with you. And that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Nevertheless, God, who comforts 
the downcast. Now watch this. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Somebody say, thank God for Titus. You got to have a Titus in your life if you're going to make it. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. What Paul said is, I'm glad Titus had my back, and Titus told me y'all also had my back, and I'm glad y'all are praying for me too. I called this message LinkedIn. Do you guys remember in the early 2000s, they created a social media network called LinkedIn? And you may, I still get the things ever now, email, like you need to update your LinkedIn account. I don't even have one because the last thing I want in my life is another social media account. How many can say amen with that? And LinkedIn is more social media for professional purposes. And I'm somewhat settled in my career and vocational choice. I'm not freshening up my resume right now. And so I'm okay with where I'm at. And so I don't really need a LinkedIn account. But, But LinkedIn accounts, when you really boil it down to the baseline of what a LinkedIn account was, it was all about advancement through connections. It was about moving forward and drawing from your network and drawing from the connections that you have. And this is what I think Paul is saying here to the church of Corinth. He's saying, hey, I got to this place where I was stuck. I was discouraged. I didn't feel good. I was tired. I was scared. I was depressed. He said, but I thank God at that moment that I was linked in with a man named Titus. And when I got to the end of me, God sent me Titus. And I was able to draw some encouragement and some strength from my network and from the connections that I had. Probably wouldn't have been able to make it if I didn't have a Titus. But I found the end of me and God said, it's not the end of you, it's the beginning of Titus. Because sometimes we all need somebody to lean on. You got to call on your brother. When you need a hand, we all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'd understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Yeah, give yourself hey, That's good. That's good. They're going to let me on the worship team one of these days. I know it. I know they are. Paul said, I'm so glad I was linked in with Titus. And so I want to talk to you about this. It's another one of our values. And I said it a moment ago, but, but you can't do life alone because you weren't created to. And that's what, that's what Paul said. Paul said, I can't, I can't do life alone. I need, I need Titus, right? It, do you know God doesn't think you can do life alone? Do you, do you know that? Do, do you know Jesus? You know, maybe Titus was part of Paul's life group. I don't know. Do you know Jesus had a life group? Jesus lived with his life group. Right? And, and, and before you say, well, I don't like some of the people in my life group, Judas was in Jesus' life group. <laughs> Just say a lot. Think about that. Right? So you may want to write these down. I'm going to tell you three things about being LinkedIn, about being connected, about your network. And the first thing is this the first thing is that you need connection. We were created to connect, we need to connect. We need to connect with other people. Brene Brown, who is a um, kind of a social uh, psychologist, social scientist, um, 
I love her work. Daring Greatly is a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, and you'd like to read that. But um, it's about connection. And she said this. She said that her, her research in science has confirmed that we are neurobiologically wired for connection. Uh, let me help you with that. What that means is the way God created our, our minds and our bodies, we were created to connect with other people. We were created for relationship with other people. Um, Ephesians 4.16 uh, says this. It says, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. In other words, we're all held together by each other because of Jesus, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's what Paul is telling the church of Ephesus. He's saying this, we receive what we need to grow and to be strengthened from our connections. Is what this says. That, that from our connections, we're getting the resources that we need to grow and be strong. In other words, if I'm going to grow and be strong, the strength of me or my strength and my growth depends on the people I'm connected to. I've said it many times. You can tell where you're going to end up if you'll just take a good look at your three closest friends. If you will let me sit down with you and your three closest friends, I can tell you where you're going to end up. Uh, not too long ago, last fall, I was on a hunting trip uh, with three guys from our, our life group that we're in, and um, Julie called, and we were sitting out around a fire because we'd killed everything, and that's what you do after you've slaughtered it. You just sit around around the fire and talk about it, and uh, it was awesome, very manly. If you're from PETA, don't call me. I don't care, and uh, <laughs> God told Peter, take and eat, and, and we're just following God's command, and um, and so, uh, and so we're sitting around, Julie called me, and we were just talking. We were talking about relationships, and I said, hey, you know, it's so cool uh, because I'm sitting around a campfire with three of my friends um, who are all very godly men, who are successful men. And I said, you know, I've always said, based on the people you hang around, it will tell you where you're headed. I told Julie, I said, you can rest assured I'm in good company. I'm in good company because I believe that your connections determine your growth and your strength and your connections determine where you're going to go. See, um, I, I know sometimes I've heard worship songs and, and, and we'll sing this and I've heard people say this and we'll sing, Jesus is all I need, right? Have you ever heard something like that? Or maybe someone said that, right? Um, Jesus is all we need. God is all we need. Can I tell you something? God does not agree with that. It's not theologically correct. If Jesus or God were all that you needed, then why did God make Eve? And men, don't say sex. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? Because God, he was, he was in the garden uh, and, and Adam was in the garden. So here's Adam and God and Adam's in the garden and there's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no depression. There's no discouragement. There's no social media with stupid stuff on it that makes you want to strangle your computer because somebody was dumb enough to type that. There was no social media in the garden because the garden was just like heaven and in heaven there's not social media. Hell, that is where social media is. If you go to hell, they're going to strap you to a chair and make you read everybody else's stupid post. 
I was reading the other day and someone had posted on there, thank God they don't go to our church, but they had posted on there and, and all of a sudden they were critiquing how you should pastor a church. This person's never pastored a church. They've never been on a staff. I was like, how stupid. I don't get on there and talk about how to be a brain surgeon. Why in the world would you get on there and talk about being a pastor? You've never been close enough. You've never attended church with regularity enough to even make an educated observation. Now I feel like this has turned into therapy. <laughs> we all need somebody <laughs> to. That's right. <laughs> you see, the truth of it is, is that we are not self-sufficient. God is, but, but we're not. God created us to be completely dependent on him while being interdependent with each other. Not codependent. That's weird. That's where you need to manage somebody else's life and they need to manage and you enable them and they enable you and you try to control them. It, codependency is if you're about to die, someone else's life flashes before you. That's codependency. <laughs> that's not healthy. But interdependency, that's what Paul talks about in the body. He said, hey, can the eye say to the foot, I don't need you? And can this part of the body say, I don't need you? No. They all have to say, we all need each other. We weren't created to be self-sufficient. We were created to be um, interdependent, right? In fact, I don't know if you ever get bored. I know this week you were probably getting bored and you were sitting there and you're like, I just don't even know what to do with my time. But if you hit that place, you could, you could do a word search in your Bible for one another, the phrase one another. And it might surprise you what God has chosen and created and, and the way he has set things up is that we get things from one another. Like, for instance, I'll just read a handful to you just for fun. But John 13 says, love one another. That we get love from one another. Uh, Romans 12 says, we honor one another and give preference to one another. Romans 15 says that we accept one another. Romans 15 says that we admonish or teach one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we encourage one another. And Galatians 6 says that, that we support one another. It says bear each other's burdens. It's amazing when you read the Bible and you think, well, God's all I need as long as I have God. No, 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 no. It's not the way God made you. It's not the way God made you. God made us to live in a culture and a context of relationships because God didn't make it where he's all that we need. In fact, most of the things we get from God comes from people. He moves through people. He speaks through people. He encourages through people. He accepts through people. He loves through people. And he supports through people. I don't know about you, but I've gone through some hard times in my life. And while I knew God was with me, just like, just like, just like Paul, I knew God was with me. I didn't need in that moment to know God was with me. I needed a brother or a sister or someone just to come sit with me and tell me, hey, I know what you're going through. I understand. I'm here with you. I'm connected to what you're dealing with right now. I didn't need them to come and preach to me. Sometimes in, in, in Christendom, we have a lot of dumb phrases that somebody taught us because we're not emotionally mature enough to connect with empathy and, and our, own, our own emotional situation. And so we have dumb things that we say, like, you know, someone loses their job and we say, well, you know, brother, God doesn't close a door. He doesn't open a window. You let me tell you, I'm going to open a window. I'm going to throw your butt out of that window because right now I got to go home and tell my wife that I don't have a paycheck coming. And while I appreciate appreciate your sentiment. It really is stupid. <laughs> I went to uh, a gentleman in our church passed away and, and his family were attending the church. And I went um, over to the daughter's house, got the call that morning, went over 
uh, just to check on everyone. And uh, I walked in, and his daughter was standing there. And, uh, and I asked the question we ask in church, but we really don't want an honest response. You know, how are you doing? We don't want an honest response because we won't deal with it, but it's a nice thing to say. But I asked it, but I want to know how she was doing. And so I walked in and said, how are you doing? She said, well, we know he's in a better place. I'm like, that's so, I didn't tell this to her. I'm like, that's so dumb. Why do church people teach people to say dumb stuff like that? Like, obviously he's in a better place, but it sucks. Your dad just died and it was unexpected and that hurts and you're dealing with the loss. And so I just looked at her and I said, you know, I know that. And I I love that. I love the hope we have in Jesus. But I didn't ask how your dad was doing. I asked how you're doing. Because you just lost one of the closest people to you in your life. One of the people that really we receive identity from. And he's gone. And that hurts. And that's painful. And you know what? The greatest thing, the last thing we do to honor someone who has passed away is grieve them. And it's okay to grieve. In fact, the Bible tells me to come over here and mourn with those who mourn. Not preach to them a sermon that he's in a better place. Right? And so we got we to gotta understand that we, we actually receive things from each other. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what we do. Like we need, like we're going to thrive if we have relationships. Right? Have you ever had that? I remember in grade school, I was, I was really healthy in grade school. I was healthy enough for two or three children. And, and so I remember we had to do a little fitness test, and we had to do push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups. And, and like what I had was a lot to pull up. And, and I remember I was trying to do a pull-up, and I just couldn't. I was like, I can't do one. can't do a pull-up. And, and the coach got everybody to stand around me. All, all of my peers to stand around me. And instead of making fun of me because I was the only one or maybe the only one, I don't remember, I felt like the only one that couldn't do a pull-up, he got everybody cheering for me. And they started chanting. And I finally did a pull-up. It was only one. <laughs> but it was awesome. Right? It was awesome. And, and all of a sudden, what I couldn't find strength within myself to do when everybody got around me and they're like, Marty, 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 all of a sudden I was like, I'm either going to pull myself up or I'm going to pull this bar down, but something is about to move. Isn't that amazing? We need connection because connections are how, are how we thrive. But let me go a little bit, st- let me go a step farther. We need, we need real connection. We need real connection. Um, we're in a world that is the most connected, disconnected world we've ever been in. Everybody's connected. Everybody's got cell phones. Everybody's connected to everybody, right? My 12-year-old daughter's got a cell phone. I don't know why. I guess because in case I need to find her. And I've told her, I'll tell you, that if, if you value the health of your 11, 12, 13-year-old boy, don't be asking her for her cell phone number. No. Because I've already talked to her about this. She came home the other day. She's like, Daddy, little boy asked for my number today. I said, what'd you tell him? She said, I told him I didn't need his number. And we had talked about it, and I could talk to my daddy. And right now, I didn't need to be talking to boys on the cell phone. I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly he, I said, he ain't got nothing to say anything. He just wants to call and hear you breathe, and he's going to breathe. And that's dumb. And <laughs> nothing to say. <laughs> But we're all, we're all connected. I remember uh, um, 
we're all connected, but we're all connected and disconnected. I remember one time Julie came home and she had gone to lunch with, with someone that she considered a friend and they had planned this lunch and they had gone. And the whole time they were at lunch, the other person's on their cell phone. She said, I don't know if she even knew I was there. All she needed was her cell phone. But that's not real connection. You know, one of the reasons that I, I, and I don't know if you've noticed, I don't care, but I really haven't been on Facebook in a month or so. One reason is because people call me and they're like, I know you put something on Facebook talk. I don't, didn't put something on Facebook talk. I don't care. I don't even know what's going on in your life. Why did I do it? It's good Lord. And so I just, I just thought, man, I don't need, and, and here's what I realized. I'm like, you know what social media is? It's a bunch of pseudo connections. I'm not really connected to any of those people. We just pretend we're connected. What I do now, I do this thing called texting and phone calls. It's what we did before we had social media. Like I won't, I'd rather have a real connection with a handful of people. Like our life group, we have a, we have a live uh, text group. We text each other. Hey, pray for this, pray for that. Hey, I'm going through this. That's, we stay connected that way. Social media, if you're on it, I'm not preaching against it. Um, but I'm just saying, I'd rather, have a bunch, I'd ha- rather have a few real connections than a whole bunch of pseudo-connections. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud, if you've ever read his book, he's a psychologist and, and really great thinker, but he, he says there's only four corners of connections or four corners of connectedness when we're talking about relationships. I'm going to walk you through those. The first quadrant or the first corner is no connection, no connection. And, um, no connection is, this is when you're not really emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually connected, right? You're just, there's no real connection there. Um, and, and let me say it this way. This doesn't mean that you're by yourself. You can be in a room of people. You can live in a family with people and never actually have a true emotional, spiritual, or intellectual connection. Uh, there was an old bluesy riff written, uh, I don't know how many years ago, uh, George Thorogood, I think was his name, but he wrote this blues riff and he said, um, when I drink alone, I prefer to be by myself. And I thought that's kind of, you know, sometimes we don't realize that, but a lot of times people are all alone in a crowd of people. They're all alone, even though they're not by themselves. And so this is where I'm going through life, but I'm really not connected to anybody. Maybe I'm not connected to God. Maybe I'm not connected to my family. Maybe I'm not connected to friends. I've just, I've kind of become my island. In other words, I've isolated myself, whether it's intellectually or spiritually or emotionally. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but have you ever thought about in our penitentiary system with the worst criminals in the world, when they want to punish them, do you know where they put them? isolation. Do you know why? They were created for connection and the greatest punishment you can give someone is to cut them off from human contact. And isn't it interesting that we punish criminals that way, yet many of us volunteer to live that way? And we wonder why we're tired and we're worn out and we're not thriving and we're depressed because when you live in no connection, you're going to experience loss of energy, loss of focus, depression, high stress, loss of motivation, why do people do this? Well, sometimes we just choose. Like, I don't trust people. I was wounded. Maybe, maybe I'm triggered. Something hit me. Maybe I have shame. Maybe I have a hurt in my life. But we choose to live in this quadrant of, of no connection. And, and here's the other side of it. If you live with someone that you can't connect to, it's kind of like a cell phone. Have you ever turned your cell phone on and, and it couldn't find signal? Couldn't find a tower? And so it's just spinning? And it keeps searching for a connection, but it can't find one. Do you know it runs your battery down faster because your cell phone's working harder to try to connect to something it was created to connect to, but it can't find it? 
And when we live with people who we can't connect to, it wears us out. It wears them out, but it wears us out. And so there's, there's that, that quadrant of, of no connection. And then if you move over, you get to a quadrant of bad connection. This is the second corner, second quadrant. Bad connection. And, and in a bad connection, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're in an abusive relationship, although that could be it. But the nature of this connection is that no matter what you do, you leave feeling bad about yourself. It's a relationship, it's a connection you have. There's some sort of connection there. But every time you leave, you feel inferior. You feel downcast. You, you leave there feeling rejected. You leave there maybe feeling shameful. Um, you leave there feeling like something's wrong with you. It's a, it's a bad connection. Um, you know, sometimes you don't need a, uh, another person to make you feel this way. Sometimes this can be just a connection with your own internal critical voice. Do you know that we have a thing called self-talk? In other words, there's a way we talk to ourselves. Now, no one likes to admit that because you think you're crazy. I've often said, you're not crazy if you talk to yourself. You're crazy if you argue with yourself. That's crazy. But talking to yourself is not crazy. Because actually they say that on the average person sends themselves 30,000 negative messages a day. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. My hair doesn't look right. This outfit looks dumb. I don't understand what they're talking about. Whatever the case may be, 30,000 a day. And so sometimes you just may be really in tune with your internal critical voice that the enemy has used your life to create for you a narrative that will keep you in bondage and keep you from ever doing what God called you to do. And he's so convinced you of that narrative that now he doesn't have to sit on your shoulder and tell you that. That is so ingrained in the way you talk to yourself that he can leave you alone and you'll play the tape for him. And you'll leave every time feeling, feeling bad. Um, if this is where you live, then you feel like you have to always be on the defensive this is where you live. You kind of feel like a boxer that's gotten backed in the corner of a ring and you keep taking punches. And sometimes this is what church does to us. Not our church, but you know, other churches that we've been to because we, we came to church because we didn't have any connection. Uh, and then we got in the message and the message had three points. God is good. You're terrible. Try harder. And we left there feeling bad about ourselves. Right? Do you, can, I, can I tell you something? If you meet with God, you cannot leave feeling bad about yourself. Because it's not the way he works. Right? God convicts us of righteousness, not of failure. And so there's no connection. There's bad connection. Here's the third quadrant. This is the quadrant they call pseudo-good connection. By the way, there's only four. You're going to be in one of these. These are only the four that, that you can choose from. And the pseudo-good connection is when I'm connected to something that makes me feel good. This is not healthy I just feel good. Um, you could say it this way. This is when I medicate. And medication looks like all types of different things. Right? Th this, is where, this is where I found something. Um, and and like, it's like a sugar high. Have you ever seen a kid after Easter when they've got all their candy and you finally let them eat all that candy and they're just going through chocolate, right? And then for the next hour, you're trying to peel them off the ceiling because they're like, you know, that kind of thing. And then they crash and they're in a coma almost. 
That's kind of what a pseudo-good connection is. It's something, it's a substance, and I medicate, and I feel really good, and then I crash, and I feel really bad. And that could be any number of things. I mean, uh, that, that could be um, a substance, whether it's legal or illegal. Um, it could be a sexual behavior. Um, it could be looking at porn. It could be uh, the next purchase. I, I had a friend one time that, that every time he, he felt bad, he ran to a pseudo-good connection for him that was shopping, and he had a closet full of clothes he had never worn. So it could be an- another purchase. It could be next quarter's numbers. It could be the next initiative. It could be the next conquest. It could be the next big thing. But whatever it is, I'm connecting to it because I felt bad and I want to feel good. But at the end of it, there's an end and I'm going to crash. And, and these aren't static, by the way. You can exist. Different parts of your life can exist in different quadrants. And, and you, can, you can move around. Like d- during preaching, I can move through all three of these. Because I'll be like, bringing the word, man, and feeling like, man, this is so good. And I can look out there and people look like they're not even in the room with me. Like they've left and gone somewhere and they have no clue what I'm talking about. I'm speaking German, you know, and they're from Peru. And all of a sudden this is weird. And I think, my God, we're not connecting. I'm not connecting with them. And then I moved to quadrant two. I'm terrible. I'm no good at this. Why in the world would anybody let me preach? I can't connect with them. This is terrible. I feel like a failure. And then I moved to quadrant three. And it's like, after this is over, I'm getting some Ben and Jerry's. That's where I'm going. I'm going to binge this thing out, man. I feel terrible and I need to feel good. Where's the Ben and Jerry's at? Right? You can move through all the three of these. I can go through these in like 30 seconds. It's amazing. (laughs) But what we really need is, is corner four or quadrant four. We really need a true connection or, or a real connection because this is where we're connected to someone emotionally and we're connected to someone spiritually. We're connected intellectually. But, but this is not where I'm just in the same room with someone. This is where we're actually connecting with each other. This is where, where there's, there's a connection between us um, that we're both tuned into, right? Kind of like a cell phone that's found its network. All of a sudden we're connected and we're sending and receiving and sharing life. You know, the word fellowship that we use from the Bible, it actually means to share life. And that's a true connection. Now we're sharing life, just like Paul and Titus. We're sharing life with one another. And that's what, that's what we were created for. And that's what we really need. Kind of like in my example, I'm preaching and no one's connected to it and I feel bad. Then I'm going to go binge with, with, with Ben and Jerry. I'm going to go hang out with them for a while. And then, and then the next thing I know, I talk to Julie. Hey, Julie, what do you think about the message? And Julie's like, hmm, I thought it was really good. It's kind of deep. So I think people were a little bit slow. They were trying to track with you. But I, th- I heard people comment and they were really getting it. I'm like, oh, true connection. <laughs> true connection. We're talking about it. She's like, here's what I thought. And here's how I felt. Oh, yeah, true connection. It's the way we're created. So we're created to connect, but we're created for a real connection. And then uh, here's the last thing. Um, so how do we connect? So how do we connect? Well, we connect at the point of our needs. Do you know that? That's how you connect with people. You connect at the point of your need. That's what Paul said. Paul told the Corinthian church, you know, Paul, at this point, he's on his third missionary journey. Uh, he's been to, I don't know where all he's been. He's been to Ephesus and Antioch and Galatia. I mean, he's been to all these places in the last two years. And then he's been one year just at Ephesus teaching. 
and now he's gone to Macedonia. And he's tired. He's been traveling a lot. And this, they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. Right? And so he's been traveling, and, and he gets to this place, and he's like, I, I, I'm worn out. I'm tired. And, and I feel scared on the inside, and stuff's pressing against me from the outside. And, and Paul said, you know what I needed? I needed comfort. And God comforted me by the coming of Titus. Like, I was downcast and discouraged and depressed, but God lifted me up by bringing Titus to me. Paul said, I had a need, and where Titus and I connected was around my discouragement, how I felt, where I was at. Titus didn't come and preach to me. He didn't come and quote my writing, you're more than a conqueror, Paul wrote that. Greater is he that's in you, Paul wrote that, right? If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Paul wrote that. He didn't come and quote, all things work together for good, Paul wrote. He didn't come and quote or preach to Paul. He came and said, Paul, I know it's hard. He connected with Paul at his point of need. We call this empathy. And empathy is not where I give you advice or spiritual colloquialisms. Empathy is where I tune up my emotion to connect with your emotion exactly where you're at. Paul, it's hard. You're tired. It's painful. People have hurt you. I feel with you. I feel with you. This is what makes life groups successful. They're not successful when it's 10 people trying to give you advice. That's not successful. Successful is when you share with your life group something you're going on, and all of a sudden they say, I feel with you. I feel hurt too. I feel the pain of what you're dealing with. And I want you to know I'm here with you in it. Empathy is where I get in the well with you. So I'm going to sit with you a minute. It's going to be okay. You know it's going to be okay. I know it's going to be okay. Right now, strength is about strength in numbers. And so Paul said, I was in the well. And Titus came and he got in the well with me. You see, if we're going to have connection, we have to have this thing called vulnerability. And we don't like vulnerability. Um, We don't like vulnerability because we're scared. Um, If you really see me, you won't like me. How many know we have a false self? If you want to know people's false self, read Facebook. But we have an image that we project that we feel like would be accepted. Because vulnerability says, I'm going to let you see me in all my imperfections. I'm going to let you see me in my struggles. And that's what Paul was doing. He's like, I'm the super apostle, and I've raised the dead, and I've planted churches. And Paul could have been writing to the Corinthians and saying, I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Too blessed to be stressed. I'm the best. I'm blessed by the best. I'm feeling great. He could say what we say when we come to church, when really we've had a hell of a week. But Paul said, I know I've done some good preaching and some good writing, but right now I don't think I can make it. I'm tired. I'm scared. He was being vulnerable. And that's what enabled him to connect. Because we connect only when we're vulnerable because we connect around each other's needs. You know the biggest enemy of vulnerability? Shame. And before you say, well, I don't have any shame, you're a liar. Jesus love you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. You're a liar because everybody deals with shame. It was the first thing that Adam and Eve dealt with after the fall. Did you ever think about that? The the first symptom of sin was shame. 
Because Adam and Eve, they're hanging out with God in the garden. They're walking around naked and loving it. Right? And they're just chilling with God like, oh, it's the best thing in the world. And then they eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat. And all of a sudden they're like, we need to hide our true selves. Why did they do that? Because they were ashamed of their true self. And they needed to cover it with something that they felt like would be more attractive. My God, this is good preaching. (laughs) And so they created a false self using fig leaves. And God came to the garden and he asked an interesting question that, that sometimes we ask and maybe we don't think about. But God said, where are you? Have you ever been with someone, maybe like Julie was at lunch with that person, and they were just constantly on their cell phone because they were just so important, I guess? I don't know. And, and, and you're with them, and you're with them, but you're not with them, so you say, hey, where are you? Or maybe they're sitting there, and they're just kind of, they're not, and you say, where are you? Right? That's what Paul, Paul, Paul didn't, I'm sorry, God didn't say, Adam, where are you? Because he didn't know. Right? Adam, where are you? In the garden. Duh, I know that. I'm not talking, what, what God was saying is, we used to be connected, and now we're not. Where'd you go? We were connected. Adam, you never doubted our connection. You were never worried about us being disconnected, but now we're not connected. We're, Adam, we're, he was asking Adam, so Adam would have to figure out what happened. Because for the first time, Adam was disconnected from God. And Adam was hiding himself with shame. And the reason most of us don't connect with people is because of shame. Um, Do you know most of the time, if you ever dealt with someone that's just really prideful, really arrogant, do you know usually they're just incredibly ashamed of themselves? And, And their persona they put on is, let me convince you how great I am because I'm scared I'm not great. And the way we interpret that is, wow, they're really arrogant. The truth is, they're just really scared. Right? Sometimes we do this, right? That's why people get on Facebook and they put all their highlight reel on Facebook. Because they're scared if you saw all the other stuff, you wouldn't think they were great. Sounds like I'm preaching at social media. <laughs> well, I guess we're not going to get that endorsement from Twitter. Um, but here's here's... Here's what we have to understand. We're all going to have to overcome shame to get to vulnerability, to get to connection. But we don't have to do it by ourselves because just like everything else, Jesus did the work. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2. I'll read this and we'll close this up. But I love Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, we're not sure. Some say Peter, some say Paul. Not sure who wrote Hebrews. But the writer of Hebrews, um, I love this scripture looking into Jesus, but if we read verse one, let me tell you about verse one, verse one, where it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And, and then it says, because, because we're in a community of faith, then let us cast off the sin that so easily besets us. In other words, that sin that knocks you off track all the time. And so now all of a sudden it's like, well, how can I be in this community of faith if I'm dealing with sin that knocks me off track? And how can I really run forward with God? And then we get to verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus. Well, how can I look at Jesus when I'm ashamed of who I am? When I'm ashamed of my sin? But the writer gives us the answer. And he reminds us of something. That that you've got a cloud of witnesses. And if you're getting knocked off track by a pattern in your life or a sin, 
or a weight or something that ensnares you, you can look at Jesus. Well, why can I look at Jesus? Well, because Jesus is the author and the finisher of the race that you're trying to run. Jesus knows the hurdles involved in your race. He was a high priest tempted in every way, just like you were and just like you are. And so it says, I can look to him because for the joy, talk about weird. This sentence is weird. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How can you get joy and a cross in the same sentence? But Jesus did. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now watch this phrase, despising the shame. That means to look down on, to scorn, to hold with contempt the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now think about this. How does this help me? I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff that's knocking me off track. And the writer says, I got to look at Jesus. But how many know if we have a legalistic relationship with God or a religious relationship with God, when we get knocked off track, we sit out of church for a week because we feel bad about us and think God must feel bad about us. But here the writer's saying, hey, you've been knocked off track. Look at Jesus. Well, why? Why would I look at Jesus? I think I, I've fallen short of Jesus. And he says this. Because Jesus went to the cross and despised the shame. Do you, do you, know, do you know why um, there's shame involved in the cross? Because if you're carrying a cross, it's because you're not enough. And that's what shame initially says is you're not enough. You're not enough. You can't be enough. That's really the, the number one message. Guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. And every person that went to the cross carried a cross and they carried the shame that went with the cross because they weren't enough. They were something wrong. They were a murderer or they were a thief. Right? But Jesus picked up a cross and he said, I'm going to carry the cross, but I'm going to look down on the shame. Why? Because Jesus was the only one to carry a cross who wasn't, it wasn't that he wasn't enough. Jesus was the first one to carry a cross knowing he was more than enough. The cross was the message to everyone that carried it. You're not enough. But when Jesus took up his cross, he said, this isn't even my cross. I'm carrying it for all the people who aren't enough so that they can be hidden in me and forever live like they are enough. Every other person, yeah, that's good. Every other person that's ever carried a cross, carried it saying, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. And the cross says, I'm not enough. But Jesus said, no, I'm carrying the cross, but I know I'm more than enough. I know I'm perfect and I am without sin and I haven't failed and I'm not doubting my place with God. I'm, I am sure of where I stand and I'm sure of who I am. And because I'm carrying their cross and I know that they're more than enough. Now, every time they get knocked off track by some sort of sin, they can fix their eyes and look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of their faith and know that I paid their penalty and I took their shame and now they will forever be more than enough. Come on, give him praise. My God, that's good preaching. Man, I think I'm done. You stand up. 
Before the cross, we couldn't be enough. After the cross, he has made us enough. When I understand that he has made me enough, I can walk into vulnerability and connection and know I belong. I belong. See, you can't judge me because God's already judged me. And he said I was enough. You can't criticize me because God's already confirmed me. And he said I'm enough. You can't discourage me because God's already empowered me. And he said that I'm enough. He's good. Amen. Give him one more praise. That's a good word.